Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country, and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back again. Jesse's got something in his ear. It's a headphone. (laughs) Oh, no. What is this thing? Welcome to Stoke yeah. the Fire. Another episode, another week. Um, Jesse, any news? Your end? You're off for a hike later on today. What does a hike around the Catskins, uh, the Catskills, sorry, usually entail? Catskins. Um, Weird. Thankfully, I live uh, five miles from an amazing trailhead that gives you a nice panoramic view of the mountains. And it's been rainy and cold. And today is the first break where it's actually not raining or snowing. Uh, we actually had our first snow a few days ago. So, yeah, I'm just looking forward to getting out, get my blood going because I've been sick. I came back from Mexico. I was recovering sick. Both Corinne and I were sick. So I'm starting to finally come back and my energy's coming back and I've been writing and just feeling inspired again. And from our last episode that we recorded, I've been amazingly inspired. Our last guest just kind of like ah, thoroughly just got me going and been writing and researching and just... I feel like my spirit's really coming back. My energy's coming back. So I'm, I'm great, man. I'm doing great. Love it. Yeah, he was a powerhouse, wasn't he? Old Stephen Machat. Um, he just oh, took okay. over, took over, and and he took took us on a magic carpet ride filled with uh, wisdom and and insights and kind of mind blowing knowledge. Yeah, to say the least, mind blowing stuff. Stuff I'm still thinking about. <laughs> Did you get yourself a little reading list then? Because he must have name dropped so many like authors and texts. Did you go back and start I, taking I, notes? No, I haven't gone back because I couldn't record it because I don't have a laptop currently. So once you get the uh, the um, episode up, I'll, I'll definitely go back and make a list for sure. Well, by the time people who are watching and listening to this um, hear this, it will be up because this is the weird thing about time. Are we, are we in the future right now? Are we in the present? Um, the episode is live. If you're yet to hear it, then please go and check it out. Um, absolute mind-blowing. Yeah, truth and wisdom and just theories, really interesting theories, um, realist theories in many cases. Um, so, Jesse, I'll let you introduce today's guest because he's your boy. You know each other from years of old. I'm really excited to, to get to know him, somebody who's played such an integral part in your life um, and somebody who I have no doubt has got loads of great stories from from New York back in the day just, just to get started there um, and from the music business. And so why don't you tell everybody who our guest is this week and then we'll bring him on. Yeah, to, to quote H2O, which I think is appropriate, um, my friends look out for me like family and Vaughn is definitely my family. He's somebody that I will go to my grave adoring and loving 
as someone who's like my brother and my friend and kind of my dad in a way, because he is my manager. Um, and I met him in my early 20s when Killswitch was just, just getting started. Uh, and him and his uh, partner in management, Kenny, have had my back since then. And I could go on and on. I have absolutely nothing but love and respect for this guy. Um, and he's a legend in his own right. As, as humble as this guy is, um, if you don't know him, you know the bands he's worked with. Um, countless stories, countless encounters. Um, yeah, I just love the guy. So Vaughn Lewis um, from uh, used to be strong management, now unchained management. So great to have you. an intro. <laughs> yeah, I could go on and embarrass the shit out of you, but I won't. <laughs> love you too, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't want me to. <laughs> yeah, this is wild. Thanks for having me on. Oh yeah, look at all those CDs and shit. I love I love <laughs> every time we have a Zoom, I'm always admiring all of the music around him. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, I've got nowhere to put them. So they uh they're just all over the place. They they I uh, I live in the house with CDs and, and vinyl. That, that's uh I don't I don't live here, they live here. They they own it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a co-ownership type deal. It's co-inhabitants. Nice to meet you, Vaughn. Um pleasure to meet you as well. Pleasure. I'm, exci- I'm excited. I love to... the podcast, love what you guys do. Um oh cool. Excited to be on. Amazing. Excited but nervous. Well, don't be nervous. You're you're amongst obviously some of your oldest yes. friends and and new friends. I'm here to make you feel nice and at home too. Um I would love to know about, you know, how you get into management because it's something I've always been interested by. Um, and I think one day maybe I will sidestep and segue into that arena. Um, I'd love to hear how you got your start. but Or maybe, Jesse, do we even go further back than that? You, I mean, you know this at the score here. Are, are there stories which we need to hear that precede the management journey? I think yeah. the management uh, the management journey is a great uh, what's the word? A great um, point to bring up, but I'm sure Vaughn can go back into old New York. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it all—it's all connected, you know. Um, you know, getting into management honestly was like it was an accident. It, it's definitely not what I kind of set out to do in music. From from like a kid, for whatever reason, I always probably since I'm like 13, 12 years old, I knew I wanted to be in music. Um, I was just a nerd, you know. I, I would listen to records, um, read the liner notes, cover to cover, um, you know, go through my dad's stuff, go through my mom's stuff. They both had like really distinct things that they listened to. And then, you know, growing up in New York and having friends that were into all kinds of different things. I was always like a bit of a nerd. And my plan initially was like, all I really knew was like record labels. Like I would, you know, I know who was signed to what label I knew who, you know, the CEOs were, um, I knew who produced records. I knew who played on records. This and, is all um, pre-internet as well, right? So you're not just going on Wikipedia yeah. and looking this stuff up. You're yeah, like digging I, into I, the artwork. and Yeah, I would sit with a record. It was a whole experience. I would sit with a record. And before I'd even listen to it, I would just read everything. Like, you know, first look at the cover, examine the cover, look at the back cover, read the liner notes. Um, and it just got to the point where I knew, like even the session guys who who weren't like the main guys on the record, like I knew who they were and I knew what what records they played on. It was like school for me. You know, I didn't realize it at the time, but you know, I was amassing a ton of of knowledge. And so initially, you know, my plan was what I knew was like, and what I started to know as I got a little older was, you know, going to shows and seeing bands and um, 
you know, discovering bands. And I was always the per you know, the person of my friends that would like be the first person to get into a band. So like, you know, I was the first one amongst my friends to get like, you know, really into Metallica like early or like Guns N' Roses or Public Enemy or how old you know, are you number of things. I'm, I mean, I'm, this is probably going on from like between like 14 and 18 at this point. Um, How old are you I'm, now? I'm 51 now. 51 now. Right, right. So you, kind of your era would have been as you were getting into music as a teenager, like late 70s, early 80s was when it was exactly. beginning to, to boom. Exactly. So then, early hip hop, then, early punk, all of that stuff. Exactly. And then beyond that, you know, my parents were, my mom was really into like soul and, you know, like Wilson Pickett and James Brown and that sort of stuff. And my dad was into the Beatles, the Stones, Zeppelin. Um, so, you know, those were kind of like my earliest records. And then, you know, I discovered on my own, you know, ECDC and things like that. And then, you know, punk, hardcore, metal, early hip hop, you know, that's kind of my, my coming of age um, at that period of time. So, you know, the plan was I was going to, you know, I was, I was actually going to go to law school. I went away to school. I was going to go to law school. The plan was I never wanted to practice law. But for some reason, I got it in my head that a lot of the top CEOs at record labels in those days, some of them were lawyers. And I thought, well, I'm going to get a law degree and I'm going to get into the music business. Um, pretty quickly realized that I, there was just no way I wanted to go to law school. And it made no sense because I had no plans of doing law anyway. So the next plan was I was going to intern uh, at record labels. So I got this really good internship at Epic Records. And the story behind that is, is a good one. Um, this is right in between my junior year and senior year of college. And I was, um, I had gotten a couple of internships already that, you know, I was set to start and they were going to be, you know, I was going to be getting coffee. Um, I was going to be doing, you know, shit and I knew it, but I just wanted to get in. Right around that time, someone that I grew up with um it's literally a story like you know his dad had gotten sick and was in the hospital and he was having dinner with his mother and his brother after leaving the hospital and uh my friend and his brother were not close at all but his older brother but i got along with both of them and his older brother worked at epic records at the time and it's like one of those things where the mom asks oh what's vaughn doing for the summer um you know oh he's going to enter another record label and his brother was like, oh, he should have called me. I probably could have gotten him something better. So it's all I about said, you know, who you know, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. So I, I hit him up and I said, well, I, you know, I didn't start this thing yet. So and this person, you know, was three years older than me. But this was a person who, when I was like 10, he was 13 years old, going from Queens, taking the train into Manhattan, going to matinees, um, you know, he's like the first person I ever heard of the Beastie Boys from. He was the first person I ever heard of the Bad Brains, Dead Kennedys. He would have these records. And that's how I really kind of started listening to that stuff. So fast forward, he's like, come intern for my friend, a friend of mine who does retail at Epic. So I walked in. I had like a suit on. Uh, I walked in uh, for, for this interview. And, uh, you know, basically I went in and the guy was like, so, you know, you're Steve Poss's friend, Steve Poss, rest in peace. You're Steve Poss's friend, you know, it's yours. He's like, just don't wear a suit anymore. <laughs> <I'm> like, <"No laughs> <problem."> <laughs> you know? Love it. 
So I would go in there and they treated me like, you know, they treated me like I worked there. I, I would go in and he would go on these, um, you know, he was a retail guy. So. Oh, no. no. Come on, Internet. <laughs> Please frame. Man, those, what is it with these Zoom chats as a light? Yeah, so for those who can't see, we got a freeze frame. <laughs> the internet has paused the conversation. Come on, baby. Come on back to us. <laughs> it never seems to be you or me that freeze either. It's always the guest. Yeah, which is interesting too because his office has really good internet. So I'm not sure what's and going on. And I'm sure he does all day a Zoom meeting. So he's gone. Oh, we lost him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'll come back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It always blows my mind that like these people who rely heavily on, on Zoom and the internet for their, their work don't seem to have it together. <laughs> Is that him already back? Yeah. Come on, Vaughn. There we go. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there? Where did I cut off? <laughs> uh you were invited back just don't wear a suit and then that yeah, was yes. kind of, that was kind of it all right and yeah. then it was it was a, like a freeze frame like this and then yeah. then a drop out going on here all right good recovery so, time though that's the best recovery time yet yes just tapped tapped out straight back in we like that. <laughs> it's right back in <laughs> so the the beauty of the the gig was that you know they 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 were putting out you know they were they were putting out the first they were setting up the first pearl jam record they were uh, a suicidal tendencies record had just come out. Um, there was a Motorhead record that they were working that was out. Um, they were setting up No More Tears, Ozzy Osbourne record that was coming out later that year. So the department that I worked in was like the retail department, and this guy was on the road all the time, all over the country. And again, this is when you know record stores were like the lifeblood of the music business. So he would be out in the field doing signings, um, you know, hanging up album flats, do, you know, just, you know, meeting the retail people. So he would leave me in the office. And remember now I'm an intern, so I'm not really, I'm not supposed to be there if he's not there. But I was like his friend's friend, like they, they went to high school together. So, you know, they just let me like kind of run the thing. And I would answer the phones and I'd be talking to these record store people and they would be, you know, asking for tickets and, you know, I'd write their names down and, you know, put them on a list. And you know, I was basically kind of running the thing for the summer. And, um, you know, it was, it was amazing. Um, and then when I would kind of do all of that stuff, then I would walk over to the promo guy who was doing like all the radio stuff and say, you know, Hey, I'm done. Um, you know, Brian, Brian Lima was the guy that I worked for, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's not here. Can I help you? And this guy was Mike Schnapp and Mike Schnapp's, yeah, like, you know, make these radio calls, do this, do that. And uh, I learned a ton. And that was kind of like. That's your crash course, isn't it? Music business. It was, it was, it was a crash course. And what was cool about it at the end of the summer, when I would start, because I started to know these record store people. I started to know some of these radio people and none of them knew I was an intern. And I remember when I said, I'm going back to school, I'm like, are oh, you quitting? And I'm like, no, I'm, you know, this is, I'm just doing this, you know, for fun. I'm not getting paid, you know? So um, after that, that's kind of what I wanted to work at a record label. And I, and I kind of, you know, I saw, you know, A&R people from afar and I saw what they did and I'm like, okay, that's what I want to do. I'm, uh, I have a, you know, I felt like I had a good ear. I get into bands early, you know, that's what I wanted to do. So I graduated 
And, you know, I knew these people at, at Sony, at Epic. And um, ironically, I kind of gotten offered a job at the end of that summer. Um, but it would have meant not finishing my senior year of college, which at the time just wasn't really an option in my head. It'd be funny if I went back now, if, you know, I mean, I probably wouldn't change anything, but I definitely look at school a lot differently now than I did back then. Back then it seemed a lot more important. So I can went I, back. Can I ask you real quick at this juncture, sure. Vaughn, like, do you see any worth in a piece of paper, um, you know, that says uh, he can do this in today's world? Cause I have a degree and uh-huh. I'm glad that I went to university and I'm glad I spent that time studying, but mm-hmm. I don't know how valuable it is. I th- you know, it depends is the best way to put it. I think for some people, it gives you a level of of confidence and the you know ability that you can kind of like start something and finish it. And I think for some people, they take that into life. And I think that's an important thing during that period of time. I honestly think for me, I don't, I don't think the piece of paper really was that big a thing. You know, I, I you know, growing up in New York, I already kind of had a a feeling that I could do things and kind of get things done. And I, and I, and I felt like I needed the paper to get further. And the reality of the paper didn't get me any further. And I, and I don't know that it validated me with anything that I did going forward. But so I, to answer your question, I really do think it depends. Um, you know, I think for some people, it's an important thing to, to, to go through that experience. And especially if you go away, um, for me, you know, it was four years that I wasn't in the city, you know, it, it, I probably would have rather, rather not do it, looking back on it. With the music business as well, I don't think you need a qualification to do anything, do you? No. No. <laughs> I don't think most people who have, you know, the kind of best high jobs that most of them, I don't think were university or college yeah, trained for those either. roles. I don't anyway, so. sorry, mate, as you were, I was just oh, interested no people listening if yeah. they were thinking about getting into music, whether they... <laughs> do that or no. not <laughs> don't do it know just go out there and smooth and hustle with people <laughs> hustle and uh, uh, people. so so when i graduated you know i couldn't um you know there were no openings at the places that where i knew people and i had a lot of people helping me trying to find stuff and you know and it just wasn't you know in in the big scheme of things i knew like a set of people but i didn't know a ton of people and um it was just hard. So I ended up, I mean, this is, it's kind of a long story, but it's, it all ties in. I ended up temping at an investment bank. Um, and it literally, it was a thing where, you know, I'm going to temp, I'm going to make some money. Um, you know, I had some debt from school, um, you know, and I just wanted to kind of figure things out. So the plan was, I remember I got this temp job and the whole thing was, it was going to be a 90-day um, period, and if I did well, they were going to hire me. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, 90 days, I'll find a job in the music business. You know, I won't be here. It won't matter. So I was temping. I was going to shows. I would, you know, I would work through lunch so that I could get to, like, a potential interview early or just meet some people. You know, I would hang out with my friends who knew people and do stuff like that. And nothing shook. So 90 days comes and goes, and I'm realizing, you know, I, I need medical insurance. I need a couple of things. I, I guess maybe I'll just, you know, I'll see about this job. So the 90 days came and went. They didn't come back to me. And at some point I went 
and and this is this is kind of the thing over the next four years that kind of helped me like because i because i wasn't interested in this as a career i kind of pushed the envelope in ways that i maybe shouldn't have and it always worked to my benefit and i kind of ended up taking it into my job so I go into this office and I say, hey, you know, my 90 days are up, you know, what's going on with the job? And they're like, oh, you know, um, we decided we're not going to hire anyone, but, you know, you can still temp here and, you know, it'll be fine. So instead of thinking, okay, let me just continue temping here and saving money, I'm thinking, screw this, I'm going to quit and I'm going to, like, try to look for a job in music full time. You know, I couldn't do interviews during the day because I had this, this job. So that was my attitude. Like, I'm going to quit. So I go in and I give two weeks notice on this temp job. And then a week later, they hired me. Um, so, so now I have a job and I'm getting benefits and I'm, you know, people at work who knew me well used to call me Superman because I would, I would, uh, like I would go into the bathroom like towards the end of the day and I would change and I would try to like hop out before anybody saw me in street clothes because I was going straight to a show or, you know, I was, I was like every night I was out. Um, From the suit jacket to the leather, like. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and then somebody would catch me and be like, Oh, there's Superman changing to his costume. You can do that when you're young though, can't you? You just have that like, eternal well of energy because you're just so excited by the endless possibilities you don't need eight hours six hours sleep you can run on two three four max and you're just out there day and night i mean i was i was going and i and i didn't stop and um in the context of that job i uh so i was temp i was like doing like this back office work at this big international equities place it was actually a british based firm in new york and um, the next kind of opportunity came where they hired this trader. And I, was, I didn't work on the trading floor. I worked more like in the back office. So they hired this trader. And, you know, it, it was an American guy. So this is like an English firm with a lot of international people that are really like mild-mannered. And you know, the stereotype was the Americans were crazy. So this guy comes in and this guy was kind of nuts. And uh, he's looking for an assistant to, to work with him on the trading floor. And uh, they're interviewing a parade of like Ivy League college kids, you know, and I, and I sat right by the, the guy's office. I would see these kids coming through and the crazy trader would kind of come in and everybody was afraid of this guy. And I had to deal with him a little bit here and there. And, you know, I didn't care. I didn't, you know, I wasn't doing this for the rest of my life. So I would just, you know, if he was doing something wrong, I'd tell him, you know, I didn't care. So my resume is being filed away at one point because now I'm a full hire and, I'm, and it's probably two or three months later, my resume is being filed away. And this trader sees my resume on, you know, in the office where he's doing all these other interviews. And it turned out that I went to the same high school his dad did. And I went to the same college that he did. So, cause I didn't, you know, I didn't go, you know, I didn't go like an expensive Ivy league school. I wasn't, you know, was very far removed from the people that he was interviewing. So he saw the resume. He said, let's give this, let's give this kid a shot. So then they moved me over to the trading floor. And the job that I was doing was like a, it was like an international trading desk. So they, they were trading in 
in stocks and currencies all over the world. So I was doing a lot of. Is stuff this in the eighties? This was in the early nineties, mid 90s. early early mid nineties. Is it is it like Wolf of Wall Street style, like cocaine and cra- craziness? Was it like that era, or yes. that being, it was still like that? Was it? So it was full on that. Now, because of where I worked, because it was a uh, an English place, it wasn't as crazy. However, they started to hire all these American guys, <laughs> and you know. You know, Next thing you know, they're tossing like dwarves that. across the office. And... It was it got pretty out of control, especially <laughs> especially at any like after work function. You know, it was it was it was pretty nuts. Would they give the rock and rollers a run for their money? Those guys? Yes, yeah, some of them definitely yeah. would. <laughs> it's especially funny because <laughs> some of the guys my age, because I was very quiet about what I was up to, and some of them started to kind of figure it out. So it's funny to some of them. I was kind of cool because, like, wait, you went and 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 did what last night? Like, w- w- you know, it's kind of that sort of thing. Um, so I ended up working on this trading floor, and the thing that I, you know, I learned a lot about currencies. I learned a lot about overseas money. Um, I had to become an expert in time zones because, as I started doing more on that desk, if there was a problem, let's say in European time trading. I would get a call at, you know, the open, uh, you know, in the, in a, in a different time zone. So I'd get a call like two in the morning and sometimes, you know, there were times I'd get that call and I'd be in bed and I would go straight. I would either deal with it over the phone or sometimes I'd have to go straight to the office. Sometimes I'd get that call and I'd be out <laughs> and I would go like, I would go back to the office, change back into the, the outfit that I left in because I wasn't going back home. Damn. And that, and that, so that was my life when I was working on that desk for a while. Like sometimes I didn't know if I was going to go home, you know? Um, so the next kind of thing that happened, the next step was, uh, I had a friend who was a year younger than me, went to the same college as me. He had a lot more connections. He got a job at, uh, a place called TBT records, um, which is, you know, they put out the first Nine Inch Nails record, um, Seven Dust, Lil John. Um, so this is they were they were starting like a uh, they were starting a hip hop imprint called Blunt Records, and they had this guy Mike Geronimo, um, and the, the Cash Money Click, which was Ja Rule, who you know who went on to become Ja Rule was his his group. So my friends like come intern for me here. And I'll get you in. You'll you'll have a job. You know, you'll have a job in a month. So I quit this job. I was making really good money. Just cold quit it. Went to go anything for my friend. And you know, TBT was a really interesting place. It was owned by one guy. Um, the guy was a maniac. For the best, it's the best way I can put it. The best story I ever heard was there was a point when Nine Inch Nails was that, that first record was breaking and they were, they were getting into uh, the, the, the next record and Trent wouldn't, the manager had to lie to Trent Reznor and tell him that the guy wasn't in the room because Trent wouldn't get on stage if this guy was like physically in the room. Um, the guy was nuts. It was like working in his living room. It's like working in somebody's living room and you don't, you know, you're afraid if you put your foot a certain way, you're going to get, you're going to get smacked. 
So um, it really, I was young, I was very idealistic and it soured me on working at a label. Um, I didn't, you know, it didn't, it didn't register to me that this is like, a, this is a certain type of label. This is this guy. Um, I mean, I'd even had the experience of being somewhere else where it was different. Granted, it was maybe a little bit more corporate there. So at this point I quit and I didn't know what I was going to, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I, I got a, a less stressful investment banking job at a different company. And I spent some time kind of lost and uh, I went on vacation and I bought this camera. I bought like a really nice camera. I'd never been a photographer in my life. And uh, I decided I needed to do something creative while I kind of figured out like, and again, I'm young. I'm not thinking like there's other things in the music business. There's other jobs. I knew I wanted to be in music, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I fell in love with this camera. I took like 10 rolls of film and I date myself there when I talk about rolls of film. I took about 10 rolls of film on this trip in San Francisco. I come back home and I decide that like all these like kind of small shows that I go to, you know, CBGB shows where you don't need to have a photo pass. I was just going to bring this camera with me and just kind of be creative. And um, I just, you know, people would walk up to me. Who are you taking photos for? What, what magazine? And I'm like, oh, they're just for me. And um, like, oh, we need a photo. We need a photo for, you know, our indie album that we're putting out or, you know, this zine. You know, zines were a big thing then. You know, people, regular people with jobs, you know, writing articles about bands and, you know, they needed photos for their zine. They would go to the, the, the photocopy place and print everything out. So I kind of became friendly with all these kind of underground, you know, bands, zines record labels and i started to become a source for just giving i would just give my photos away and then a couple of the bigger independent label you know fred fellman i remember from he worked at a place called he was he was profiled but he had um uh, another planet records that put out like uh crown of thorns and um a few bands like that he was the first person i think that paid me for like a photo on a on like a crown of thorns record so through this, I got, I basically just knew, and I'd known some of the people before this, but now I got to know all these bands and, and uh, H2O specifically, Toby Morse, you know, him really specifically just became a friend of mine. He, he, and it's funny looking back at it because I was a pretty big drinker at the time and he doesn't drink at all. And, you know, we would, we would go out, we would, you know, we would go eat then we'd go to some bar where all of our friends were hanging out and, you know, I'd drink and he wouldn't. And then we'd go to another bar that his wife worked at. And we, we would close that place down. And then, you know, we'd walk to their place and then I'd take a cab back to Queens. And it was, this is kind of like, you know, this is like life for a little bit. So at one point uh, he's moving, he's moving from like, you know, one block to the next block. And uh, Kenny, who I've known since high school, junior high school, really, but we became friends in high school. He's, he's in law school at the time. And he's helping, he's helping him and I helping Toby move. And uh, Toby's like, hey, you know, we're going on tour. H2O is going on tour. And um, we need someone to sell merchandise. You should come out and do it. And I remember Kenny turning to me right away. I'm like, you should do it. You hate your job. You should just go do it. And I'm like, you know what? I'll do it. I'll see the country. 
and maybe that'll turn into a job. Maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's what I'll do. And I, you know, and if it doesn't work out, I can get some other crappy investment banking job because evidently I'm okay with it and uh, I'm okay at it and I can get these jobs, even though I hated it. So I quit that job. And uh, this was my third investment banking job. And I was 30 days into the trial period. And well, it was a 30 day trial period. And, um, and the guy calls me into his office like 26 days. Like I, at this point, I know I'm leaving. I haven't told anybody yet. And I'm kind of dreading having to tell them because you know they were all nice. And he calls me in like four days early. And, they're, and he starts to tell me, like, we're offering you a raise. And I, like, stop him. I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm leaving. And he's like, well, let me tell you the package first. And I'm like, oh, boy. And, you know, it was like a really good deal. But, uh, you know, I knew I had to, to, to do this. So I quit that job. Um, I go out on tour. And the first couple of shows were, like, local. We go, we come back. Uh, and then the first, like, tour show, you know, we roll up to the venue. And it's like, you know, we're two hours late, you know, hardcore kids are, you know, they're stand. I'm trying to, I'm, I've never sold t-shirts before. I'm, I'm hanging stuff up. These kids, like 200 kids are like standing there with their arms folded, like, you know, hurry up. And, um, you know, and I just, I never got my stride, but I, you know, I pulled it off. And I remember telling the band after the show, like, you know, we should, cause I think we got lost and that's why we got late. You know, no one had directions. I'm like, you know, we did they have a tour ready. manager or anything, Vaughn? Or was, was well, just, no, uh, there was no uh, tour manager. It was the it was the five of them, me and and uh, their friend, now my good friend Isaac. We were the two roadies, right. basically. Because Toby used to roadie for Sick of It All, didn't he? And um, I had Lou from Sick of It All on my podcast, and he yeah. said that Toby is the worst roadie he's <laughs> ever worked with in his life. He said he was useless. <laughs> he said they loved having him around, but he was just a complete waste of time. <laughs> I could see where that would be the case. <laughs> so it's it doesn't funny. surprise me hearing you rolling up two hours late to shows if there isn't a tour manager in charge, if it's just yeah. Toby. Like... <laughs> yeah, there was, was, was no one in charge. So I had this grand idea, like, you know, someone should call the venue and get directions. So we, you know, so we show up on time, you know, <laughs> and, I can set up, and I can set up <laughs> stuff. And then, you know, idea. <laughs> and, and then if you guys, you know, I, I think the first show we went to, there was like a, there was like some big massive convention in town. So there was like not one hotel. So we ended up sharing a hotel with another band and, you know, there were like a hundred people in the room. So I'm like, you know, maybe the club has to deal with a hotel. They can tell us where to stay. So to answer your question, I basically at that moment, not knowing what was going on, I became the tour manager because I started calling these venues up and, you know, finding out what time we play, what time can we get there? I had no idea it was tour managing. I had no idea that was advancing a show. I was just trying to like, have the show day not be so chaotic because I, you know, I was trying to keep track of merchandise and, you know, they had a manager at the time and I'm trying to act like I know what I'm doing. So I became the tour manager. So now, so I'm now doing merch and tour managing and advancing shows. So then the next thing, and this is all over the course of this tour, the next thing that happens is uh, their manager at the time uh, and it was a small boutique 
manager, she was managing the Mighty Mighty Boston's. And the Boston's like literally like just started like to take off. And it, you know, people say overnight, it clearly wasn't overnight, but in the in the in the context of when it just happened, it felt like it was overnight. And she just didn't have any time for them, uh, for H2O. And I remember they they fired her at a truck stop. And you know, this is before cell phones. Uh, they fired her at a truck stop and uh, they all walked on the bus and they're like, you're managing us. They, they pointed to me. I'm like, you guys are nuts. And I'm like, no, 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 you're managing us. So I didn't know what that meant, to be honest. So shortly after that, Brett Gerwitz from Epitaph sends a fax to their lawyer with a deal memo for a deal. He, he wants to sign the band. And they had been talking to him and initially he, he wasn't interested. Now they put out a record. He's now interested. Um, so their lawyer, so I set it up now where the lawyer can fax it to me at a venue. And again, this is a whole, I'm dating myself, but it's whole like coordination. Like you have to go to a venue, you have to get the fax number, you know, these are private documents. So I wanted to be standing over the machine when it came through so I could pull it right off. So I get this fax and then some, some more context now. Kenny, who, you know, is in New York and he's in like, he's in his second or third year of law school. Um, he was doing legal internships. He had done some internships at record, at, uh, at, at law firms that were representing artists. He used to kind of, you know, take some contracts home, read them cover to cover. Um, I would borrow them, read them cover to cover, give it back to him. He'd bring it back. And so I knew my way around a deal. And, and you know, I also had that little period in college where I wanted, I was going to go to law school. So I took a couple of courses. So I, I knew my way around a contract. So I look at the deal memo and I marked it up with some comments. I faxed it back to Kenny at home. He added a couple of things. I sent it to the lawyer and then the lawyer called the band and was like, who's this guy you have on the road? Like he really seems to know what he's doing. Um, and that was like, and they came back and told me, and that was the first moment I was kind of like, huh, like, wow, you know, like maybe this could be something, you know? Um, so the tour goes, goes on, you know, we, we go to LA, we meet Brett. Um, ironically, Bill Wilson, who owned Blackout Records, which is a label we were on, he's at the same LA show. At the time, we were trying not to tell him that Brett wanted to sign the band. You know, he figured it out and it's like, we got one guy on this side of the venue. We got this guy on that side of the venue. So that was kind of an interesting, that, that, that's what I learned to be honest. I remember having the con conversation with Bill, like, listen, you know, Epitaph was here, you know, and he was pissed. And so that was kind of like a learning curve thing. But, you know, we do this tour and, you know, I go from one place to another place. We come home the next day. I don't hear from anybody the day after, because, you know, we just got home. No one wants to talk to each other. The second day home, I get a call from every member of the band, like, you know, what are we doing with this? What are we doing with that? What's going on here? And that's when I realized, like, okay, I, I'm actually managing this band. Um, and that's kind of how it started. It was, it was an accident. And, it's, um, that's the definition of DIY. Do it yourself. And you didn't no even, doubt about it. I love no that. doubt about it. No doubt that, about it. That's really what I think for me really draws me to you and Kenny as managers because of the genuine 
love for it. You guys weren't out for money. You weren't looking for like the rock star light. Like people get in the industry that that seek out the yeah. fame. You guys have none of that still. And that's one thing I've always loved about you guys. You guys are the real deal. DIY. Thank you. Yeah. Thank love you. It. And, and, and honestly, that really goes a lot to that world that, you know, we came up in and just like, you know, we were, we were a part of it. You know, we were living it. It wasn't, it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't an outfit that you, you put on and then take off, you know? And, um, and I think it really just boils down to, you know, being true to yourself and being true to who you are. And, um, you know, that's the thing I'll never, you know, no matter what I do, no matter where I go, I'll never, that will never leave me like that, that part of my life and that, that world and that ethic, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's everything. It's everything for me. Um, the culture really, if you, if you boil it down to its most precious essence, not yes. the same way because we connected on that level too. Cause I grew up in the hardcore scene. I grew yeah. up punk rockers and people who were doing it. You know, you had like a, I remember having a, a notepad with people's phone numbers, fax numbers, address, <laughs> like send flyers to like, I grew up doing that shit myself too, with the bands that I was in. Yeah. And, instills in you a certain frame of mind that thankfully you just don't lose. It's, it's a part of you, you know, yeah. I love that about people like yourself and myself, Matt, like it's just, it's in your blood. You can't, yeah. it's a part of who you are forever. I'll tell one I'm skipping ahead for just a quick second, but I, I remember the first kind of meeting we all had, you know, we, we'd met a couple times. Like I, we, we got out to that one show and the door money was stolen. You guys didn't play and we didn't really get to hang out. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. but then the first time we met, met, I remember Killswitch had played like, it was like a WSOU anniversary thing. And it was in the, it was in an old minor league baseball stadium. It doesn't exist anymore. It was like oh, 50 remember. bands. I remember. And we met, like there was no place to meet because there was no backstage. It was like a trillion bands and we met in like this hall, this stairwell in, in, in the venue because there was nowhere to, to meet. And at this point, you know, we were kind of, we were getting seasoned, you know, we had, you know, we had done meetings with bands before and, you know, what do you do? What do you, you know, what's your philosophies and this and that. And with these guys, all we did was talk about music. Like all we did is sit in that stairwell and talk about music. I think I gave, I think I gave like one 10 minute, kind of philosophy on you know what i thought about the label they were signed to and how i think what i thought they needed to do to work but it was literally 10 minutes and um and i remember like it felt like you got you know i think i think mike day was like so wait you um you know the guys in leeway and i'm like yeah i know those guys real well you know and I, you know he was like excited by that right and it, it was literally it was just like seven guys or four, well six guys at the time just having a conversation right because you guys were a four piece at that point yeah yeah and um and uh and that's all it was it was really just this natural bond and i don't you know i don't think that's happened since that's that's you know it's 20 years ago like literally 20 years ago and we can still have those conversations where we'll get together for business we'll do the business and then the rest of it is just talking about a great record that we like yeah. or 
Yep. Or an old school story about a hardcore band. I mean, that's I still love that shit. And we yep. still on a regular yep. basis. It's, it hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. So, so yeah, so then, so then how the evolution of the company happened is, you know, so for those nine months, I was a tour manager, merch guy, manager. And the evolution was, you know, I would be on the road and I was having issues advancing shows because, you know, they would be calling. And I think at this point I had like, I had like one of the first cell phones that uh, I think it, it was like this massive thing that lasted about 15 minutes. So either the battery would die or I just couldn't take a call at the, at the merch stand. So Kenny, who is now still in law school, he would, I'd, I'd, he, basically he would pretend to be me, would give out his number and he would advance the shows because he had, his schedule was a lot easier. He was at home. He would advance the shows pretending to be me. He would fax me, you know, the sheet with all the information. And then, you know, if there was like, you know, there'd always be those couple of shows where it's like, this guy's a little shady that, you know, he would call me and be like, okay, listen, a couple of notes on this one, you know, make sure you get this, make sure you get that. This guy seems shady. I don't think anything he says is going to, you know, and, and that's literally, that was literally how it worked. And that was kind of his starting you know to kind of get in, involved so after these nine months are up you know and i'm i you know i went to i went to europe i went to japan i went to australia um we toured with social distortion um you know it was it was amazing and um and then you know all these other bands that i knew from you know taking pictures you know they're looking at me and they're like Wow, he's managing a band. They got a record deal. They're going on tour. And hey, you found them at exactly the right time, by the sounds of it, with that epitaph interest and big tours like that coming through. Yeah, like right time, yeah. right place. Well, it was the right time, right place. It was also I was also you know one of the first things that went on too was like I would you know someone would be like you know there's this tour we want to do they, someone in the band like we should tour with this band, and I would figure out you know who the manager was who the booking agent was and in some cases it would be a manager that like i didn't know personally but all those years of being a nerd like i knew who that person managed i knew all these or, or, or what they did before they were managing i knew all these things about these people so i would start calling people up that i didn't know but i knew everything about them and um it just, it got me, it, 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 like, you know, people took my calls and people call me back because they, you know, they, I, it, it, they were drawn to the fact that I, it felt like I was in the business a long time, even though I, I wasn't, you know? Well, cause you knew your shit, right? I guess the lesson there is do your homework, isn't it? Whatever you're trying yeah. to get into, read up, yeah. study. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't, you know, and it was, it was a natural thing. It was just, it was, it was just because I was a nerd and just loved it, you know? So that was one of the, one of the, one of the first, quick things that kind of happened and then you know so so then i you know had these bands approach me and and i you know and i realized that you know what you know of a bunch of, of these bands you know this band and this band i would manage you know and i and i had a conversation with h2o because i was kind of like their guy their discovery kind of you know and i'm like you know i think i want to do this and for me to do this i'd probably have to come off the road and 
you know, and they were for it. And, um, and that's when I basically came off the road and I picked up a couple other bands and that's when, you know, strong management started funny story about strong management, strong, uh, Toby technically named the company, although his idea for the name was strong black management. <laughs> um, and, uh, for the people just listening to this Vaughn's black. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so that was kind of the nickname of the company for a while. But then, you know, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to pigeonhole anybody else that might come in and work with me. So uh, to his dismay, um, <laughs> and, a, and a few other people, I shortened it to Strong Management. So Toby, Toby, one hundred percent named uh, named the company. Well, it sounds and, like H two O got a much better deal than Sick of It All in terms of their roadie discoveries. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So let me ask you this, Vaughn, and Jesse as well, like the pair of you, like um, when you begin to work together, what are some of your early memories of forging like, you know, that first record and pushing forward and, you know, kind of like making a dent in the music business together? Because obviously I imagine you're fairly early on in your management career, Killswitch brand new band. Tell me about your, you know, joint recollections of that time. Well, for me, I have to be honest, I was extremely antisocial, high anxiety person. So I wasn't very present. You know, I'd play the shows and I would sort of disappear. So in the early days, it was a lot of just, um, I'm going to assume here, just managing me and my weirdness, which is not much has changed, I guess, except now <laughs> I'm actually fairly sociable and I really enjoy my life. But uh, back then, I, I, a lot of my memories are very sort of like uh, hazy because I would disappear a lot. I'd play shows and go away. So if we played in... Massachusetts, I wouldn't be there like early and hanging out and I wouldn't be there after and socializing. I'd show up, play the show and disappear. And that was my early career was filled with that. I was just a very odd, anxious, antisocial person. But Vaughn and Kenny always would take the extra step to like make sure I was okay and take care of me and get me to the doctor when I had vocal problems. So they always cared a lot for me, but I was not a very sociable person. So I'll let you take the rest, Vaughn, because that's pretty much my. Record. <laughs> I mean, I've got a, I've got a bunch. It, it, it was a very formative time, especially making, especially making that record. I, I think making that record, Alive with Just Breathing, I, I remember the most because it was, um, it's kind of like when you're feeling each other out, you know. And uh, you know, Jesse, you, you know, you're probably right. You were kind of quiet. Little, you know, antisocial to a, to a, to a degree. Although I always felt like Kenny and I were always able to get, you know, to whatever degree, get you to open up somewhat. Because well, um, I trusted you guys, regardless yeah. of my weird issues. I had absolute trust in you guys from the beginning. But then, you know, even the rest of the guys. I mean, they're they're getting to know us, you know, and it's still like a thing. And one of the one of the many things I remember making that record was, you know, you have a label. And, you know, the label has expectations and, you know, us coming from this kind of DIY world, you know, our thing was, well, you know, let's let the band do what they're doing. You know, if they need help, you know, we'll help. And, you know, I always felt like that I had this ability to kind of figure out when people need help and when to leave them alone. So one of my first memories was just kind of, trying to keep the label over here and trying to keep the band here and kind of staying between and not having them kind of butt heads. And, uh, and 
but also trying to get the band to kind of open up as to where they were at and what was going on. Cause I didn't always know where they're at, what was going on. And I remember one funny thing was they were recording, you guys were recording vocals in the studio and then you just kind of stopped recording vocals in the studio and nothing really, you know, nothing was really said. And I remember I was talking to Adam on the phone and I forget what happened. Like I heard something, you know, and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, uh, we're recording vocals. And I forget, it might've been at your house, Jesse, or maybe it was, I don't, I don't remember. You guys were recording vocals somewhere that wasn't the studio and no one knew they were recording any vocals. And I heard something in the background and I just started laughing. And, he, and he's like, and then Adam's like, so you're not, you're not mad? I'm like, I'm not mad. Like, you know, he's like, you're gonna say anything to the label? I go, of course not. <laughs> And, you know, that was kind of my moment with him where he kind of got the like, oh, all right, you know, Vaughn's into this. He's, 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 he's into this, you know, rogue, like, we're going to run about and do it, you know, you know, how it needs to be done or how, how we're doing it. And it's fine, you know. And that was our first moment of, yeah, you can tell me what you do. Like, like just tell me what you're doing and then I'll and let me figure out what I tell everybody else. I'll I'll shield everyone from you. But I remember these, you know, I, I don't know how much of that record you did in was it your place? <laughs> yeah, the backstory mm-hmm. exact exact you just struck a memory with me. <laughs> we had done the song Life to Lifeless and the I had like strained my I just went for this scream physically cuz you know, back then I was using my entire body to scream. Uh, and it's the scream in the middle of life to lifeless. Um, and I pulled my back out so bad that my arm, I was having issues with my arm. Um, my voice, of course, just wasn't doing great. So we had stopped the session for life to lifeless. And I went home and Adam's like, we got to keep working. And I'm like, I'm in rough shape. I'm broke. At the time, I was dead broke. Um, so I couldn't even afford gas money to get up to the studio. And Adam's like, this is ridiculous. I'm just going to pull all of my my pro tools rig my equipment and put it in my car and i'm driving down to you we got to keep working so i was like cool all right i'll make pizza and let's just get it done (laughs) so uh yeah we recorded um we finished up life to lifeless i think we did i'm not sure what song it was it might have been temple from the within i'm not even sure but we redid that song for elaborate just breathing and uh yeah it was in my front living room in my house and it was just me and adam just knocking it out and i had my arm in a sling and i was on painkillers and <laughs> we just got it done and yeah it was that's another diy adam was just yeah. back he still is yeah. get it done no matter what get it done yeah, and, yeah I, we- and i remember uh i think i decided to not tell uh mike getter at the label i basically i'm basically like yeah they're not recording you know we're just going to give him some time and you know it'll get done when he when it gets done you know, knowing that it's like just driving him up a wall. And then I think at some point, you know, we just, we sent him like four or five songs and he's like, whoa, you know, but uh, I remember that distinctly because that, that's when I just, you know, you, you learn a lot about people in a situation like that, where like, you know, like I, I learned that I don't have to like, I don't have to chase, around, I don't have to chase these guys around to get them to, do that kind of work that that kind of stuff's going to get done you know there's other stuff you have to uh <laughs> chase them around with but it was just that it was like um it's just it's that diy thing and it it it, it spoke to me like i really like it really was like wow these these 
you know, these guys are, you know, we, we really all like fit, you know? And I think specifically that moment with Adam, I think that's when he kind of saw like, all right, like, you know, this guy's as crazy as I am. This is, this is going to be fine, you know? Um, but yeah, just making that record, just all, it was a lot of stress. I mean, it was a lot of, it's a lot of stress making that record. And then obviously, you know, the, 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 the first tour and, uh, you know, Jesse leaving the band. I mean, those were, uh, those were crazy times. <laughs> well, we had Adam on the show, as I'm sure you've heard that episode and, yes. and both Adam and Jesse kind of shared their memories of that time. Sorry to do it to you again, Jesse, but, um, <laughs> from your point of view, Vaughn, what was, you know, the, the series of events there from your perspective, what's your recollections of that time? I mean, it's funny. I think sometimes you, you almost, uh, you almost try to put some things out of your head almost, you know, um, you know, I, I, I guess it's like, I saw it coming, but I didn't see it coming, you know, and it was kind of a shock. And, um, you know, I remember I, I felt, I don't know what the word is. Uh, maybe, maybe a little bit of hurt that I didn't, that we didn't get to talk before, before you quit, you know? And, um, because I think we, you know, I mean, we, we definitely did. We definitely did form a bit of a bond before, before that happened. And it kind of, you know, it kind of went away And it. Um, honestly, I think I've kind of put a lot of that out of my head, you know, um, I've traumatized you, Vaughn. Oh, no. <laughs> you know what it is? You know what it is with me? You've, I've done this for so long at this point that you learn, you try to learn from everything, but I don't dwell on, I think the thing that served me well is I don't dwell on the bad things that have happened. I think I, I learn from it and I keep those lessons. I don't forget it, but I don't dwell in the minutia of what, of, of what happened you know i remember the aftermath pretty well because it was obviously a pretty you know it was it was crazy time i mean we uh i remember one of the one of the funny things i remember is you know jesse had quit the band and mtv had had wanted to interview us for this thing right and uh and um against my like vehement opposing of this thing roadrunner insisted that we get jesse to do this interview um he hadn't it wasn't public yet that he left the band but he left the band and i was really against it you know i felt like we should just come clean and you know and sure enough like we're doing the interview and we're kind of start to kind of starts to kind of hop out so that was that was you know that was funny <laughs> I remember that being super awkward. That was a very awkward. I'd love to see that interview <laughs> on the internet. It, I'm sure it's very awkward because uh, I didn't know how to answer questions properly because I'm just like, what do you guys think? <laughs> I ain't going to be here that much longer. So, <laughs> Mikey, I think, was wearing sunglasses. He wasn't speaking to me. Like, it was super awkward. I remember that. Yeah, that was wild. That was a bad idea. Uh, but, uh, that, that, was, that was when I learned, you know what? That was a moment that I learned like when it when you when you're dealing with like the label or people outside of the band stick to your guns yeah. stick to your guns if you feel a certain way and you and and you have reasons to back that up don't back down and because i backed down on that one um 
I was, I, you know, people knew how I felt about it, but I backed down on it and it, you know, it was a disaster, but you know, we're still here. So it doesn't, doesn't matter. But that was, man, that was awkward. I think the big lesson for me, the takeaway when I think back on that is, is communication. That's something that I've yes. learned to be annoyingly over communicative because of that. And I'm actually, I get self-conscious about it because I'm with the band, with you guys, I'm like, I will just throw up on you guys because I refuse to not speak. Yeah. Anymore. That was it's the better. Yeah, well, thing for me it was back to I didn't know how to. Yeah, yeah. your best to to kind of coax me out of it. But yeah, as far as me leaving, that was a dark time for me. I just was sh I shut down. Yeah. So, yeah, big lesson for me as well. Yeah, I mean, look, I think I think what we all learn from it is, you know, things happen the way they happen ultimately. And I think you know, at that point of where you were, that wasn't for you, you know. And I think, you know, we. You know, sometimes on the business side of things, you just want things to be what you want them to be. You know, the, the you know, managers are guilty of it. The labels are guilty of it. And, you know, the realities are the realities. And that was that was the reality at the time. And, um, you know, I think we're all come out better for it. You know, we've all learned and, you know, here you are and here we are and. You know, the, 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 the thing I'm proud of, I will say this, the thing that I'm proud of for all of us, I'm proud of how we all like, you know, there was never any like outward drama. There was never, um, it was just always this very adult and there was always like a genuine a genuine you know love for each other regardless of what happened or happened or was happening or whatever it was to the point where you know some people get back together and you know it's it's for motives that aren't great you know i can honestly say that when this happened this was like perfect it was like the perfect thing at the perfect time because Everybody was in a really good place. Everybody was had been, you know, you didn't come out of nowhere. You would still in touch with people. You would still, you would see people. You were doing times of grace with Adam. It was pretty seamless, you know. Um, did you work times of grace from the start as well, Vaughn? I did. So what was uh, your initial reaction when Adam comes to you and he's like, hey, I've got this new project. I'm going to do it with Jesse. Were you like, not that guy again? Or were you, <laughs> were you stoked no. to see those two getting back together no. and, and creating music again? Yeah, I was psyched to see them creating music again you know i think jesse i mean I, I can't remember if it was the the roadrunner united thing we had you know we had kind of reconnected around that i mean it's not like i'd seen jesse a ton but we had we had reconnected and you know i mean i always loved jesse i mean from 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 the get-go so you know it was it was exciting you know what you what you always what you worry about you always worry about situations where you know um obviously Hilton was an entity that was working and, you know, so you don't want anything to kind of upset the apple, the apple cart, but outside of that, I was fine with it. And then and it was fun. And it, and it also happened at a time it, it ended up working out where it happened at a time where Killswitch just wasn't busy. So it was perfect. Um, I mean, it was a great experience. Um, um, and it made sense. Every, you know, everything when things make sense, it makes sense. Like you can't, you can't fight. One thing I will not do, I won't fight something that makes sense. I think in this business, too many people too often fight something for the wrong reasons. Um, 
that, ego, right? There's a ego. Lot ego yeah. gets in the way, you know, and uh, ego or fear. A lot of a lot of times it's fear. Um, fear and ego are two things that always get in the way. And um, I really do try my best to just put that stuff on on like the back burner. It doesn't. It do, those two things don't help you make good decisions. One more thing I want to ask you about, if that's all right, is when Jesse comes back in. Um, again, we've kind of heard from Jesse and Adam there, but when Howard leaves um, and Jesse Jesse reaches out to you guys, right, to say like, "Hey, can I get an audition spot?" Um, talk me through your version of events <laughs> with Jesse's, you know, reintegration uh, into the band. I don't know if I've ever told this story before. Um, yeah, it was crazy. So the day that we the day that we announced that Howard left, Adam was in New York. So uh, I think when it got announced, Adam and I, Adam, Kenny, and myself, or, uh, I think we were sitting at a we we're sitting at a bar somewhere in the, in the middle in the middle of the day, <laughs> um, and you know our phones just start exploding. You know, um, so being honest, I mean, I, I think Jesse texted Adam. And I'll be honest, at the time, I didn't think, I didn't think it was something Jesse would want to do. Um, and I guess truth be told, you know, there probably, there was a point when we weren't sure where things were going with Howard, where the idea was floated at Jesse. And at that point he wasn't into it, which I, which we respected because it was in the middle of times of grace. And that really wasn't, it wasn't awkward, you know, you know, but I didn't think for a number of reasons, Jesse would have been into doing it. Um, and a lot of people don't believe me when I say this, uh, you know, it's like, and I know it's probably the same for Jesse. So I think when he texted Adam, I think I kind of said, well, let's just be reserved about this. I don't, you know, um, I think I kind of almost kind of calmed Adam down. Like, let's just, let's just kind of, let's just kind of see where it goes. And then to interject though, real quick, that text was basically saying, since you guys aren't doing anything and this is kind of a weird situation. Mm -hmm. Why don't we do an Alive or Just Breathing reunion tour? Just have some fun, and then you right. guys can figure out what you want to do with the new singer. Right, you're that right. My pitch. You're 100 right about that. You, you reminded me to be the guy. It just like let's do some Alive or Just Breathing shit and like see what happens. You, so. You're 100 right about that. And then and my thing to Adam was, we got to figure out who's singing in the band first because yeah. because what we can't do is do a throwback tour with the original singer and then ask some other guy to join the band. So my thing was, that's a bad idea right now. Jesse's 100% right. I forgot about that. Um, and then I think later on, the idea of you joining the band kind of got floated. And, and then I think Jesse and I spoke. I think at that point, we spoke. And I basically said, like, listen, you know, you know, I, I, you know, I think one, it was, because I think, you know, Jesse, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a, there was a point where you felt a little weird about performing some of the other songs. Yep. Um, and, you know, Jesse and I, and like Jesse and I always can, we just had a really honest conversation. I, I said, well, you know, these songs are a big part of the band. We can't not do them, you know? Um, and then I think Jesse at that point, you know, we just talked and then Jesse kind of went back, kind of sat with the songs a little bit. Um, and then to Jesse's credit, and no one believes me when I say this, to Jesse's credit, you know, I, I said, well, listen, we're, we're, we're doing tryouts. Because at this point now, I, I'd been, you know, sorting through all kinds of, of people that were sending, you know, vocal demos and basic, basically vocal tryouts. 
And um, I said, I asked Jesse if he'd be willing to try out. Jesse was like, absolutely, of course, you know. And no one believes me. No one believes me that he said that. No one believes me. I shouldn't say no one. I think now it's people starting to understand it. But a lot of people don't believe that we had tryouts and that, you know, Jesse wasn't the immediate, like, go-to. Um, and, you know, we did these, you know, we, I think, um, I think you drove down and met those guys and kind of did your tryout in person kind of, I think, or, or... I, was, I was working at a bar in Manhattan at the time. So I just took the, the, the shift off and yeah, I, I sat with them and talked to them and basically said, uh, you know, I think you're right. I think I went to Massachusetts first. Yes. Yep. Sat down, talked to them, kind of gave them like an idea of like, Hey, I'm, I'm actually kind of interested. They played me demos for disarm. Mm. The, what would become disarm the descent. And I remember thinking, and I actually said that to them, like whoever sings on this record, this record is, is fucking awesome. Holy yeah. shit. So that was early days. And yeah. then I was working at a bar. So I had to take time off. I had to get my shifts covered so I could go try out with the boys. Yep. And then, yeah, we set up a try in New York. We had this rehearsal space. And I remember we, you know, we had a number of people come down and then I kind of, I purposely put Jesse towards the end. I didn't want, you know, I didn't want any of the other people trying out to see him. Um, you know, I was kind of being really careful with that. And I remember, I remember you came in, you did like two songs. Um, Monty Connor, who at the time was still at Roadrunner and was, and was going to be our A&R guy. He, he came down, he did two songs and then for kind of shits and giggles, he did a couple of old songs, hung out for a little bit, left. And I remember, I remember he walked out of the room and everybody just looked at each other like, you know, I think Mike D might have been the first person to say something. He's like, that felt great. And we're all just like, yeah, that, that felt great. Um, and, you know, I mean, again, like things just happen. Things just happen for a reason. And, I, and to Jesse's credit, like nothing was handed to him. He did everything everybody else did. And I think for me, you know, I really just wanted to make sure that it was, I didn't, I didn't want to do the obvious thing. I didn't want to, I didn't want to do the obvious thing and not, and miss something that was going to be a problem. I want, you know, I wanted to make sure it was going to be right. And man, it felt, it felt right. And, you know, here we are 10 years later now, yeah. something like that. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah, 10, 10 years later. Yeah. I remember getting the phone call from you. I'm like, do you want your old job back? Or you said something like that. <laughs> the next morning. And I was like, I was getting ready to go to my job. And I went to my shift knowing that I had got the gig. And it was just, wow. I remember walking in there with this shit eating grin on my face. And my bar manager being like, you got it, didn't you? I was like, yeah. Like, he had been training me for like months to take over this position. Like I was literally moving wow. in this bartending position that was a really decent paying job. And I was going to help relieve this poor guy who had been busting. Mm -hmm. like, it's just like, no, I'm out. And You're he like, there's good news and bad news. The good news yeah. is I got the gig. The bad news is I'm out. <laughs> and I remember we, we embraced and he ran outside to make phone calls to like, and he's like, wow. like, I know you got it. Cause kill switch was like, you're in quit your job. Start yeah. working like right now. Yeah. Here's, here's yeah, I, think, I think we told you to drive down and uh, and take a photo. Yeah, 
Oh, the famous, well, I guess fame, inf- whatever you want to call it. The, the mm. intro photo of me just smiling with the boys was put up. But yeah, that from that point on, man, to me, it was just a year of absolute incredible magic. Probably one of the happiest times in my musical career was that first year. It's amazing. It's amazing. How yeah. about coming up to the tour you're going to be doing with with Howard's band supporting Vaughan? I mean, that's pretty cool, isn't it? That's a unique position right there that, you know, you say everybody has remained cool with each other and, and drama's been kept to a minimum. I can't think of many, if indeed any other bands, where they've had like a singer shift or a lineup shift and then all members have gone out on tour with their, you know, various projects together. That's super cool. Crazy. No, it's crazy. Um, uh, it gives me goosebumps, honestly. Um yeah, I mean, and I give those guys a ton of credit because I mean, I'll tell, I'll tell, I'll tell some stories there. You know, obviously, you know, Howard was in the band, you know, for seven years, eight years, somewhere along that. And uh, you know, when you manage bands and you manage people, and when you manage people for as long as I've worked with these guys, I mean, it's not, you know, these these guys are family. They're all family. Like they've all, you know, I've lived through all of you know their stuff they've lived through all of my stuff you know people people have gotten married people have gotten divorced people have lost parents people you know it's like we all live it with each other you know and um so like you know funny story here for me you know when i you know when howard left the band you know, he was, he was a friend, you know, so he left the band. I wasn't involved with him on a professional basis at all. You know, we stayed in touch here and there, you know, a little infrequent. And, um, at some point we started to be more in touch and just kind of, you know, talk more often about, about stuff. And I remember there was a point where I, I, I mean, I remember distinctly having a conversation with him and he would always call me for advice. And, you know, there were at various, you know, a lot of people call you for advice. That's, you know, when I, for me, what I do, a lot of people pick my brain on things and I, yeah, try to help where I can. And sometimes people are in situations that are, that are just difficult, that are just, it's, it's difficult to move kind of from here to there. And Howard was in that point for a, a while. And I remember the point where I kind of knew that he was probably going to ask me to manage his band again. And I remember going from the point of like, you know, I'm not going to do it to, wow, I would consider doing it based on just where he's at and where I'm at. And, you know, my, my fear, honestly, was the rest of the Killswitch guys. And, and they had been in some conversation, you know, in touch with Howard. Not, again, nothing was drama, but I had, a, I had a good while where I had to kind of figure out, like, am I, am I going to do this? I probably shouldn't do it if I do it, you know. So finally I decided that I wanted to do it. But before I did it, I was going to call each person in the band separately and, you know, discuss it. And if I got, like, any sort of anything from anybody, I probably wouldn't have done it. And, um, you know, everybody was gracious. And, you know, Jesse being the only person of the people that I talked to that, you know, was never in a band with him. You know, they were never in the band together for obvious reasons. And, you know, and I think looking back on it, Jesse was probably, 
you know, you probably had more concerns than you let on at the time, but, but, you know, because of our relationship and because of how I know he feels about me, I know looking back and I know that he kind of put that to the side because I think he kind of knew I wanted to do it. And, you know, you look back in those moments and that, you know, you, you, you appreciate that stuff. And then, you know, so I did it and that was kind of that. And I remember one night I was out, uh, I was out in, in Las Vegas and um, we were out, it was some sort of like radio convention or something was going on. And, um, you know, it's like midnight and we're at the bar and there's a bunch of people there. And uh, Chris Santos, who was a, a chef that we all know, was there and he kind of runs over to me and he kind of shoves his phone in my face. And it's a picture of Howard and the whole band. And, you know, no one, I didn't know, you know, and, and I think the show was in Canada. Howard was living in Canada at the time. And like, you know, no one, you know, in a situation like that, normally, like I'd get a call like, hey, can you put me on the list? Or, you know, somebody else, hey, guess who's coming down? Like no one told me anything. No one, I had no idea this was happening. And it was just a picture of the six of them. And it was like, wow, you know, it was like, it was wow. And then almost on cue, I started getting texts from all the guys in the band. Like, yeah, Howard came to the show. It was great. You know, so of course it was after I saw, you know, after I saw the photo. Did you guys all want to surprise him real quick? Like how come he wasn't in the loop? That's interesting. I, yeah. It just happened through Adam. Adam approached yeah. us and it was kind of like a, it wasn't super planned. It was like, oh, Howard's in the area. He wants to come by and say what's up. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, and to touch back on what Vaughn was saying, I think if there was any oddness with him managing him again, it was just my insecurities. That's really all it was at the time, you know, because the comparisons happen all the time. And I was not, I dealt with it as best I could, but I was still very insecure about, you know, having to sing his songs. And then that night, having him there, side stage while i sang the songs he sung wow the nerves i had i remember i i drank quite a bit that before getting on stage but long story short the first person to embrace me and squeeze me and tell me i did a hell of a job was howard and that moment on we became super fast friends that night i will never forget that night and from that point on, I was like, I, I fucking love this dude. He's a great dude. Holy shit, we have a lot in common. So yeah, it wasn't intentional. We weren't with yeah. it just knowing kinda- those guys, that wasn't planned. Knowing those guys, it just it 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 just happened. The, the fact the fact that I wasn't like aware of it and the fact that it 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 like was like shocking to me for a second is just knowing these guys like a little bit of an afterthought, like kind of like like, oh yeah, that probably that probably did surprise one a bit. Yeah, what but an amazing then, surprise for you! It must have been oh, a real trip. It must have been great, but a big surprise. Unreal! Spot. It was unreal, and then it's and then it's happened. You know, it's happened again. It, you know, I remember, uh, you know, Howard texting me one day like, "Yeah, I'm going to San Diego," and he Howard had been doing some recordings with some other people, and he was on somebody's record, and and I'm like, "Oh, what are you? You know, are you what are you what are you doing? Are you working on it? I think um, uh, I think he was doing something with on B Snyder's record." with jamie i'm like are oh, you working on you working on that and he's like no i'm working with kill switch just like what you know and then i think then jesse sent like a a, a text of a video of him 
like listening to Howard doing the vocal on 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 the album that he did. And then another another funny one was when we were all uh, when Killswitch was out with Iron Maiden. We were all yes. like Howard had Howard was gonna be there with Jay, with with Jamie doing something like a festival two days later. So him and Adam were talking. Howard flew in a couple days early. I knew he was flying in. I put him up in the same hotel that, 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 that I think Kenny and I and Armando, who used to work for us, was in a band that we managed. He was there hanging out. So we're all in the same hotel. And then we all, I think we took an Uber to the venue. And I left Howard basically backstage with the guys. And it's, again, it's just a testament, you know, to who they are. One thing I, one, you know, one of the things you learn doing this, you know, it's not about, you know, like I don't, you know, I don't write songs. I don't get up on stage. I don't, I don't do any of that stuff. It's all about the people who do it. It's all about like their talents and what they put into it and how you can help them. If they don't exist. I don't exist. But then the other, push it to a further level, like who they are is who they are. And um, it really helps when you work with good people you know mm-hmm. and, and it really it makes it you know for me it's like um i'll kill for these guys you know because of who they are like don't fuck with my guys you know they're they're family they're i mean they really i can't it's not i can't overstate that and, i think um, what's cool as well is uh, part of your role which you clearly do very well is knowing when to step back uh, you know, because you could have been like, hey, Howard, hey, Jesse, hey, you know, but obviously you've given it a complete wide berth. Yeah. And as you say, everything that's materialized has just yeah. been through their own accord and you've just watched and enjoyed and let it, you know, play out organically, I mean, which is a anything, skill as well. I mean, if anything, if anything, if I was going to be involved in any way, you know, it might have been to keep everybody separated. I mean, if, you know, really, and, and if I, you know, so you're right, you know, but that would have really been more of my inkling is just, all right, you know, let's keep them separate. And, you know, nobody, nobody will get mad at me about anything, you know, but it's like, it's just, it's, it's just who these guys are. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for that tour. And, I'm, 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 you know, I think it'll be a lot of fun and, you know, two years, it will, it'll be what, like two, two and a half years after we first <laughs> planned it. <laughs> And I remember those first those first two nights of that tour when it was kicking off before yeah. we sent home. It was magic. It was incredible, and the the chemistry is just there. And it's funny because the timing was perfect. You know, again going back, I had a lot of insecurities about Howard, and you know he's such a monster vocalist and a presence. But now it's like it it makes me happy to see it. You know, that night uh, with Maiden, that was my idea. I remember walking with Howard and looking over to me like you're here, like. Oh shit! You should sing a song, and he's like, uh, "Okay." <laughs> what do you think? And like, he put headphones on and listened to the song. I would say a good hour pacing back and forth. And then, <laughs> That's amazing. Like, you ready? So yeah, I think I got it. <laughs> it's like, I hope. <laughs> um, better. That's but amazing. another thing too that that really, you know, it's it's a it couldn't have happened any other way, right? And I remember that night he came. The first night he came to that Canadian show, and we had a real heart to heart. You know, I said a lot of things to him that I needed to say to sort of clear the air. Mm-hmm. And he said the same things, but it was a funny fucking conversation. But at the end of it, he had these little earbuds that he always has in now. I don't Howard loves his earbuds. They're constantly in his head. But uh, he took them out and was like, hey, I want you to hear this. So I was in the tour bus and I went to the front where the driver 
seat is, closed the curtain and sat down, put headphones in, and he played me um, the first couple of songs from Light the Torch before that oh. album was even a thing. And I, I, I welled up with tears. I got chills all up and down. I'm getting chills now. Wow. All up and down my arms. And I remember opening the curtain and he's sitting right there and everybody's just drinking, having a good time. He wasn't drinking because he doesn't drink anymore. But, um, and he just got this shit-eating grin on his face. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> I was like, Devil You Know was good, but this, this is it right here. I, fuck, I became a huge fan. I love that band. I love that first record so much. I'm still listening to the second one, but I became a fan of him separate from being kill switch so that was a whole other thing and i actually punished him for a little while Te we texted back and forth every day for like i don't know a good week and a half and <laughs> i just kept being like dude so excited and he's like yeah me too but i, yeah, I became a fan yeah. of well so it, it all just kind of happened naturally you can't, you can't plan that shit you can't yeah. it just happened yeah no it's 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 uh it's incredible and it's um it's you know the thing i'm really proud of with these guys is that we you know we've really just on on so many different levels you know whether it's band member changes whether it's internal stuff whether it's you know even dealing with a pandemic or you know we just weather storms and we weather it together and you know it's a it's a band it's not it's not one person it's not two people it's a band and there's nothing harder than navigating, you know, five people and five opinions, but to their credit, they're, they, they, you know, they make it work. We make it work. We all make it work. You know, it's, 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 it's pretty cool. You know? I want to ask you a question, um, you know, cause I know we've definitely run some time on this, which is awesome. Thank you for no, taking no time out of your no business. Schedule. But I wanted to ask you just out of curiosity and maybe people who are listening would like to know too, when you're going to manage a band, what are you looking for? What are your red flags and what makes you go, oh, I can do this with this band? Like, what does that entail as a, as a manager? Yeah. You know, it really, it's, uh, it's, it's really different. It, it, so many different things. Um, you know, for me, and this is, you know, this is not true for everybody. I do have to have like just some connection with the people. I guess that's, you know, some people don't need that. I need to, you know... I, I always had this thing when I first started managing bands and when people would recommend, you know, people at labels would recommend, oh, you should manage this band, you should manage that band. And one of my first prerequisites was if I have to get on a plane and go see these guys and hang out, and hang out with them for a couple of days, am I going to be excited or bummed? And I, that was one thing I really quickly said, if I'm going to be bummed, I'm not going to do it, no matter, like, how good they are. Um, so there's that. And then, and then from the business side of it, I, I just need to see that there's some path. They're, they're, they're doing something that's has some path to some level of success that, that I feel like I can bring something to the table that kind of gets them there. Um, but the first thing, I guess I have to, I have to be into it, honestly. I mean, um, at the heart of everything, I'm still a music fan. And I, and I said this when I started doing this, that if I ever stop being a fan, if I ever stop enjoying that part of it, then I'm done. If I ever go back to go Wall to Street, show, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, now it, it's funny because now I probably not capable of doing that, but it's, um, 
you know, it's uh, it's like I want to love what I'm doing, and and the thing is, I don't love, I don't love the. I don't love a lot of the business part of it. I don't love a lot of the, you know, the fighting with, you know, the labels or, you know, the business part of it where you're constantly trying to kind of push your thing forward and someone's trying to kind of shove you down. And, um, you know, 90% of this stuff sucks, honestly. Um, yeah, that's always been my kind of fear, uh, and the thing that's held me back from trying. I think is the business side, and because you have to be a hard ass, right? Because you're out there fighting for your clients, and yeah, you have to be. You have to be a hard ass. You also have to be, and I learned that in different ways because I'm probably not like a natural hard ass, honestly. But you learn that you have to be. You learn that you know you 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 get that first moment where someone tries to punch you in the face. And you realize, all right, I got to punch back, you know, mm-hmm. and um, but, you know, you try to do it in an honest way. And, you know, but the flip side of it is, you know, when I go to a show and, you know, I'll take this this pandemic for, as, a, as, a, as an example, you know, Killswitch just finished a tour with Slipknot. You know, it's the first time that I've ever gone to see these guys play shows and not hung out with them, you know, and I remember having this weird thing when they played the local show in Jersey and it was kind of like, you know, and you know, it was busy. Stuff, stuff was busy. Like, should, you know, should we go? Should we, you know, maybe we, yeah, we don't have to go, you know, but then it's like, I wanted to go. Like we wanted to go. We, we, we wanted to go to the show. And when you go to the show and you see them on stage and you see the effect they're having on people and you see how they're doing, that's what makes it worth it. All the other nonsense is whatever. But at that moment, that's when you understand this is this is what I do. This this is why I'm doing it. And this all this other stuff, unfortunately, goes into this. And you know, so we saw that show, and then you know, we went to Philly. We met up with the booking agent. We saw that show, um, and then I flew to LA and I saw that show. And you know, I saw three shows and didn't hang out with them. And it was, it was weird, but it was okay. I, you know, I come out of it feeling, you know, you know, like energized because those are the moments where I'm reminded this is, this is why I'm doing this and not all the other daily bullshit. And that's because you're a lifer as well. And you're a fan and you want to be there, like at the shows, you know, not in the office all the time. Exactly. There are those managers too, right. That are just the, the, you know, the paper people. And And that's fine. No disrespect to them, you know, and that's, 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 you know they can do it that way i you know i i can't um so i mean honestly really there's no big science behind it i want to like the band i want to like the people um you know maybe sometimes i can you know i haven't necessarily done this yet but i can see a scenario as i get older i can see a scenario where i could be in a situation where i don't get i'm not like in love with the music as much but I love the people, you know, I, you know, and over the years in general, I, I will say this starting out as like a, like idealistic hardcore kid. And the reality is I was always into a lot of different kinds of music. So I had that, I had that, but you have the, you have that element of time where you're super idealistic, you know, you're, 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 you're into what you're into and you know, everything else sucks, you know, and I remember, 
you know, going on the road with H2O, you know, you would, you would, you would travel and, and you would come across different people. You would come across, you know, I remember, you know, and these guys probably wouldn't realize this, but I remember like, you know, the guys in Rancid were always kind of around H2O. Lars was always kind of around them and we would go out to Frisco and Lars would take us out to lunch. And you would hear about how other scenes worked and how and what, you know, and really more as like a fly on the wall. Like you, like for me, especially, I'm just listening in on a conversation. And, um, and, you know, they'd, you know, they'd be talking about other bands that maybe I wasn't so into, you know, um, but you learn like, cause I, I mean, not Rancid, I'm a massive Rancid fan, but you know, maybe some other bands and you would, you would learn that other people, you know, work other people, you know, really put a lot into their craft, whether, whether I get it or not. And that's, you know, leaving the city and New York being as big a city as it is and, and so many different kinds of people, you know, traveling and going to other places and seeing how other people do things, going to other countries, seeing how other people do things, it gives you an appreciation for things that might not necessarily be 100% up your alley. And that for me was my education on, you know, just how hard, you know, like when, when people have success, most of the time, it's not overnight. They don't come out of, you know, out of nowhere. These, these people do like a lot of work. And I, you know, the one, the one thing I, the one weird thing I have in this business is just like, and, and we play the game to a degree, but like, you know, when people review a record, you know, or people, you know, talk about a band, like I've definitely come full circle as like that hardcore kid that hated everything. That now, like, if someone's on the road and they're selling tickets and they're selling records, or most importantly, if they're if they have an effect on people, God bless them. You know what I mean? Like, I will never hate on anybody that can have an effect that can have a positive effect on people and uplift people's lives. That and it's that in and of itself is a gift. So I guess I'm rambling a little bit, but you know, I could see a scenario where maybe it's a band that I'm not in love with, but I get it. And I love the people. I, ha I do have to, I, I, I do, because as, as a manager, and Jesse can attest to this, you spend a lot of time around people. Um, and you got to like them, for me. Um, I don't know if I answered your question, Jesse. No, I, ram I rambled a bit there. No, I get it. No, that makes total sense. And I think that's just part of being, uh, you know, pressing forward and, and not chasing success, but seeing something that can be successful. No, I mm -hmm. think it, that's a brilliant point, but I would definitely say that about you, you know, you guys strong and, and now unchained, uh, you guys know what the hell you're doing and it's family and, and there's a vibe there and the bands that you work with, I've never seen you pick up a band and I'm like, why were they working with them? Like I've never had that notion with you. So I totally dig it, man. I get it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We spoke about travel the other, the other week on the show and how important that is in all aspects of life to broaden your perspective. Um, yes. And a final question I want to ask you: You don't have to name names, but you ever had anyone in your books like a proper Sebastian Back or Axel Rose type, just an absolute fucking nightmare? <laughs> no, I mean, well, <laughs> yeah, there was probably one. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've had a few interesting things. Uh, I mean, I've had certainly in the early days. I definitely worked with a lot of, uh, you know. And then all my friends, you know, a lot of rough around the edges folks, you know, um, 
and I learn, you know, you, uh, I, I tell one quick kind of funny story, you know, when I, the first tour that I did, and I can't get too specific, but there was, there was a particular city where there was like a problem. There was a potential problem. And uh, I know this story. <laughs> and, you know, let's just say a lot of people from back home kind of traveled to kind of, you know, just make sure there wasn't a problem. And I, and I was kind of oblivious to a lot of it. But uh, everything was fine. And uh, an unrelated kind of fight breaks out at the show. And I'm selling merchandise. And my natural instinct was to kind of jump across the table and try to break up this fight, you know? So as this is happening, I, I, you know, someone is not happy that I'm breaking up this fight and, you know, someone shoves me, you know, whatever. And I, and I hear from the stage, someone is literally saying, you know, you know, who hit Vaughn, you know? And uh, the night ended up in a kind of a chaotic mess. And uh, we, you know, we all walked out of there. Um, you know, someone may have been, uh, so they may have been, the police may have been looking for someone that they couldn't find. And uh, I learned real quick how to just kind of, uh, you know, uh, get through a situation with police and, you know, and, uh, and then I remember uh, the missing person, you know, there's like a car, there's, you know, there's like, there was like 10 cars in town that night. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, I hope this person isn't in this one particular car because, you know, I don't want this particular person to get in any trouble. And of course, that person was in that person's car and police are everywhere. And um, we're trying to find the hotel. Police are following us and they're following like 10 cars. And, uh, you know, the long and short of, and we, everything was fine. The long and short of what I learned is, you know, as the person kind of, and I wasn't in charge, we weren't the, we weren't the headlining band, but in a sense, I kind of was the most responsible because I, I knew the headlining band better than that tour manager. And I learned that like, you know, part of being on the road is keeping everybody safe, you know, and keeping everybody out of trouble. And I work with a lot of people um, who can easily get in trouble. <laughs> and um <laughs> I learned that part of the battle is like, it's not just, it's not just, um, you know, because not that I did anything wrong because I didn't think like I did anything wrong, but it made me think about how I look at a situation because someone looking out for me could have gotten everybody else in trouble. So, you know, it's one aspect that you learn early on as far as like, you know, I work with one thing and, I, and I'm not, I can't say who it, who, who, who it was, but it, you know, it was a band that I revere tremendously and kind of an older band. And, you know, it's kind of a cautionary tale in the music business in general is just like, you can't be bitter, you know, about, you have to be able to put, and kind of when I was, we were talking about when Jesse left the band, you know, you can't dwell on things that have happened. You, you have to, learn from it and move forward um i'll tell one funny axel story just you know i was managing uh degeneration when they got back together 
I know Jesse uh, very well. Yeah, I love yeah, him. All right, I know Jesse a long time. Um, I hope I don't get in trouble for this. But um, <laughs> they played uh, they played two shows with with, with Guns N' Roses, and um, we it was towards the end of the um, you know the old you know the the new old lineup. So the shows weren't doing well. Tickets weren't you know tickets weren't selling. D Generation ended up getting docked like twenty five percent of their pay because they didn't pay they didn't play the full hour. But I remember we they we played and the backstage was the mellowest. It was really like just super mellow, and this was in the days when you didn't know when they were going to go on, and you know everyone's just kind of chilling backstage, and then the word gets out that Axel's on his way. And you had to get out of the hallway because not because he was coming, but just because everybody started moving at this pace that was like, boom, 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 that you were going to get run over by something because, you know, he was coming in the minute and then he, he walks in, he's inside for like five minutes and then he's on stage. And it was just like this perfectly timed, just kind of, you know, like he shows up, everybody goes nuts and then you're on. And it's just wild seeing like one person kind of have that effect on, you know, literally hundreds of people. Um, so nothing bad, I guess. I don't think that's bad. Yeah. But the, yeah, I think, but being okay with being that person. <laughs> yeah. He's I, Axel. <laughs> I saw that first 10 at a festival, you know, like we were all playing yeah. this festival and, you know, when he arrived, they tried to clear all the bands out of the green rooms. We're all, we're all sitting there hanging out, relaxing, drinking like we had played our set. Uh, and it wasn't just us. It was a bunch of bands. And yeah. security tried to clear it. And we're like, no, fuck, this is our, we're hanging out of here. Uh, uh, he made his way through with his entourage. And I remember just all of us were just kind of looking at him like, really? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that was uh, back then. Though. I'm not sure where he's at now. But yeah, yeah, the, I, I imagine he's in a different place now where, you know. I mean, they're going on stage on time and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, God bless, you would say, Vaughn. Yeah. God bless. <laughs> what, I, what, I will, what I will say, I mean, I, I've been lucky with who I've worked with. What I, what I do want to say is uh, it is interesting when you meet the people that you've looked up to, you know, and, 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 you, and, you, and you see, like, I, I've never really had a moment where uh, maybe one, but I haven't had that many moments where um, people you revere, like I've seen people I revere in really some some incredible lights and you just see, you know, I had the opportunity one time to go, you know, I was just kind of there, but like drinking with Lars from, 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 from Metallica. And for what anybody will say about him, like he is like, put so much thought into everything that they do and you see that that's why they're there they are where they're at and i know people that have toured with them and you just the way they take care of bands um like it's what everyone should you know aspire to iron maiden that, that you know I've, I've had the opportunity to you know, I consider Rod Smallwood the manager, a friend of mine, and I've I've met guy, and I've met Bruce Dickinson a number of times, and just the way that they treat 
the people around them, the way that they treat the bands that they take on tour, the amount of thought that they put into kind of everything that they do. Like people just don't realize like just how much goes into like having any level of success, like at that level, at the level that we're at, at whatever levels there are, it just is, um, there's so much that goes into it. And it's, 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 it's inspiring to see, you know, the people who, 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 who really do it and do it well and, and how they treat the people around them. Um, so I, you know, I, I guess I kind of like to focus on, on those positive things. You know, another band, I'm just going to kind of throw at that. Not that I know the, these guys, I don't, I don't know them well at all, but I've, I've had the opportunity to be around a couple of them at various points, but a band like Lincoln park, like obviously they don't exist anymore, but, people don't realize like everyone in that band had like a job, like kind of like a band job. You know, one guy was involved in the merchandise. One guy is involved in production. One guy is involved in the artwork. Um, one guy is involved in the business. And, you know, they would come together and compare notes and share information. And um, it's just fascinating all the different things that go into something being successful, you know, we all just see the success and we see the crowds and we see people walking around with the t-shirts, but there's so much that goes into getting there. And if one of those things isn't, it's like a car, you can have three like amazing tires that one tire isn't working right. It doesn't move. Um, and it's, you know, from where I sit, it is fascinating when you get a little bit of a look inside to how, other people do things and you you're like that's why they're successful um so i don't know, want to focus a little bit on the on um on that on, on that side of things you know luckily i haven't i have you know I've, I've been lucky to be around great people um maybe it's an accident maybe i'm 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 good at kind of picking the right people i, I don't know but i've been lucky i've been i've been i've been truly lucky to work with some great great bands and and, and great people I'm, th- I'm thankful for that well, I've said it many times and I'll say it many more times. I'm so grateful for you and what you do and what you've done for me in my life and my career. And it's been great to hear you tell stories and drop some wisdom. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I know you were a little like uh, nervous, but like, <laughs> come on, man, this was great. You did yeah, a great, you, so nice. You know, I have this thing about wanting, you know, just being, you know, behind the scenes. And uh, I never know like if, if this stuff is like, interesting to, to people but uh i'll you know, say right now that especially all that kill switch stuff everybody who loves that band is gonna love you know insights like that are invaluable because it's yeah. you know it's from somebody who's right there but is like from a different perspective um you know in it but kind of like right on the outside looking in and i found all of that stuff particularly amazing um but yeah awesome. just the industry stories i love hearing them and i think anybody who's like really into music loves hearing them and yeah, hopefully yeah. everybody who listens to this show loves music so that makes sense it's been yeah, a, thank you for having me i mean uh i appreciate it. it was fun it's a lot of fun yeah it was a unique show as far as we look at the all the shows we've done this one will stand out very unique so thank you uh, uh, appreciate thank it you. love you jesse love you too brother i'm sure we'll talk soon that pleasure real real real, real pleasure yeah uh, man i hope to see you and hang out in new york someday when yes. the world when the world's fully the world. in swing or 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 in your neck of the woods i uh this is the longest i've gone in like 25 years without being in the in the uk it's wow bizarre bizarre time any any plans to come over i mean i'm hoping you know over the summer uh hopefully 
if festivals and things happen. We'll see. You know, <laughs> Don't say uh, that, Vaughn. <laughs> you never. You know what? Yeah, there's much like ongoing developments. Unfortunately, I'm I'm the kind of person that uh, that uh, tries to prepare for the worst. And I got to be best. so bad. I'm gonna go. I can't. <laughs> you guys keep talking. <laughs> yeah, prepare for the worst. Right. Hope for the best. Yeah, prepare for the, the worst. Best, prepare for the worst. That's all you can do. That's all. That's all. That's all we can all do. But hopefully, I mean, I think I think we'll be all right. I think, you know, knock on, I'm not going to wait here. I think we'll be all right. Well, if you are heading over at any point, do let me know. And let's, Absolutely. let's, let's definitely get together. And... and if you head this way, please, I saw you were in, you were in Texas for, for a little bit. Yeah, what a place. I've never been before. Loved uh, it. Loved yeah. it. Well, wow. if, if all things go to plan, I'm going to hopefully be doing a book launch show for my new book in New York um, the week of the 22nd of March. So nice. let us know. If that happens and goes ahead, I'll get an invite to you. And, and yeah, we'd love to see you there. That'd be great. That'd be great. That'd be a lot of fun. All right, dude. Well, listen, I, d- I don't think Jesse's coming back anytime soon. So we'll we'll <laughs> wrap, wrap just the two of us and sign off now. Um, absolute he, pleasure, mate. When it all comes down to it, he is a sinner. So he's allowed, you know, he's, he's allowed certain, uh, <laughs> certain it's things. It's funny. I can see at the end of our chats, it's always around like the one hour, 45 minute mark is when I can see him start. And he's like, I've got to go. I've got to go. I've got to go. <laughs> Speak of the devil. Just in time for the sign-off, Jesse. (laughs) Swimming, I had to go. (laughs) (laughs) We were just talking about you. All good things. (laughs) Dudes, amazing chat. Loved it. it. And um, yeah, I hope we can all hang out together. I still haven't seen Jesse in person since we launched this show, but I hope the three of us can hang out together in person in the not too distant future. Looking forward to it. Hi, boys. Thanks again, everybody. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.